Welcome back to My Crazy Brain, where we attempt to understand the crazy things that our crazy brains do. My name is Slayton Cooper. For those of you who do not know me, I'm a junior in high school with some pretty crazy thoughts and experiences. I would like to start by saying thank you for being here. Each and every one of you mean a lot to me. Today, we're going to talk and discuss grief. What the heck is it? Why is it important? How does it affect us? In today's episode, we're going to aim to answer these questions. Before proceeding with today's podcast, I would like to mention that this topic may be triggering to some listeners. Please proceed with this in mind. Thank you. With that being said, let's get into today's episode. So I think it's pretty important that we first define grief. You know, what is it? We have to really set in stone this definition before we are to use it and apply it in words and situations. So grief is defined as a deep sorrow, especially that caused by someone's death. And I think it's important that you realize this is the yearning for them to be back or for things to go back to how they once were. So is this the same as grieving? You know, you hear the term grief, you hear the term grieving, or even grievance. You may hear that term as well. So the answer, according to Dr. Francis O'Connor, this is an associate professor of psychology at the University of Arizona. Is a simple like no. It's simple. They are definitely discernible, and they're separate terms. But how do we know this? Grief, according to her, again I'm referring to Dr. Francis O'Connor, is the momentary experience of sorrow or loss, whereas grieving refers to the change in our relationship with grief over time. So grieving really discusses and pertains to our relationship with grief. And grief is the object, if you will. It's what's going on, what's affecting us, stuff like that. So they are two separate things. Remember this. We're going to say those two um, in different situations. So they are not interchangeable terms. Remember that. So also, (laughs) I think it's important. A lot of people have definitions of grief in which they just view it as a state of sadness now this is often how grief is portrayed you know by media um you know in hollywood etc right but that's not just how it works that's not all grief is and as a matter of fact that's not that's not all griefing is so grief is much more complex and much more intricate than just that so please remember that In fact, to really elaborate on this and to allow you guys to feel what grief really feels like, at least to a certain extent, I'm going to take you guys through a bit of a thought experiment. I want you guys to, you know, put all definitions of grief to the side and think about yourself being in a desert. You're in a desert, you're super hot. You're so thirsty. Your mouth is dry and you see a cup of water. It's ice cold water. It's gra- the glass is clear. It's clean. There are water droplets on it. You want this cup of water so bad. And you reach for it. Yet every time you reach, it'll move just out of your grasp. No matter how hard you reach or how much you want it, it'll always just move out of the way. 
Now, I'm not going to take credit for this thought experiment. This is from Dr. Andrew Huberman um, from Stanford School of Medicine. Uh, I want to give credit where it is due. So thanks to him for that. But just so you guys know like what grief feels like, that's, that's kind of what it is. It's, it, it's an imbalance in your input and really what you get out of it. Like the input and output are very different in how much effort is being put into it. Like to explain it in other terms, you're putting a lot of effort into it, a lot of energy and emotional energy, and um, you're just not getting anything out of it. You're kind of wasting it, if you will. And that's what makes grief very exhausting. So now that we have defined grief, and now that you guys kind of have a better understanding of what it is. Um, we can proceed with like a more in-depth discussion on grief. So let's further preface this episode by like navigating the famous five stages of grief. So let's get into it. Stage one is denial. And I'm sure you guys are very familiar with the five stages of grief. You may have learned about it like in elementary school or even in middle school, but stage one is denial. When one experiences grief, it's common that they may deny the situation that they're in. They may literally say like, oh, I'm not experiencing this. Like, this isn't real. You may hear someone say like, under the breath, oh, this isn't happening. This isn't real. I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming or something like that. So this is like, so your brain may convince you that what you're experiencing isn't real simply in order to protect you and your feelings. By not denying your situation, you attempt to prepare yourself for the situation in the future. So as to like almost freeze time. That's kind of what your brain is trying to do. If you know what's coming, but you know you aren't ready for it, then you will deny its presence or existence in that current moment. And that buys you more time to prepare yourself emotionally for what you know you will have to endure in the future. This is simply your brain's way of getting just a little more processing time and more time to prepare itself for the future because it knows, it knows what's coming, right? So that's stage one. That's denial. and. This is really when you see people who um, they're kind of like not not panicked, but they're a little bit on edge. They 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 may be a little frightened because this is the first stage, right? This is when the event has just occurred. They immediately you immediately enter the stage. You immediately reject its its presence or its existence in your life, and you know that that's what makes it the first first stage this is immediately what happens and that's also it gives it so much power because right when you experience something and you deny its existence that's obviously going to have a very big impact on you in the future and it's going to have a, a very big impact on your ability to like cooperate with people and communicate with people because you know if someone's saying oh how did you feel after this you're gonna be like after what <laughs> or something like that right like you're not going to you're not going to want it to acknowledge it and so this actually can create a lot of stress and that can kind of, you know, lead into stage two, which is anger. So these experiences that we've been discussing cause us to be frustrated with ourselves and or other people. We become angered with our current situation. This isn't always rage or aggression. Anger can often manifest itself as even submissiveness or bitterness or re resentment, right? Stuff like that, like passive aggression or something. 
many think that anger actually hides our vulnerability during these moments. And this is actually really interesting. So during these times, we feel very complex emotions. We don't exactly know how to label them, nor do we know how to express them exactly. And this makes us very angry because all we want to do in these moments is to be able to express our feelings, express our thoughts, our emotions. Because we want people to be able to help us and we want to be helped. Yet when you're unable to do this, this creates a lot of anger. And it's understandably, understandably so, right? I'm sure you guys can think about this. Like, have you ever tried to, and this has happened to me on the podcast even, like, have you guys ever tried to think of a word and you're just blank on it? Like, you can't think about it. You completely forget the word. But you know there's a word for exactly what you're trying to say. You just can't say it. And you're like, oh, gosh, darn it. Like, I'm forgetting the word. You know, that's that frustration is, you know, it kind of runs parallel to the frustration of grief. I'm not saying they're equal in intensity by any means. I'm just saying that's, that's a similar process by which one will feel frustration. That's kind of what it feels like, that they both lead to the same thing. So this frustration can lead to stage three. Stage three is bargaining. This is our way of, of steering ourselves back on track. We try once more to take back control of our lives and really just to get our hands back on the wheel. Right? In these situations, we may begin to make statements like, oh, what if I did this? Or what if I did that? Or it's, it's my fault. I, I could have done this. Or how could I have done this? Blah, blah, blah. And this is where it's important to be mindful again, because these things, for, these thoughts further complicate our emotions. We may start to, you know, guilt might start to seep in, which that really complicates things, right? If you feel responsible for the loss that you've experienced, then, well, <laughs> you know, you're going to feel guilty and that's going to make this existing like ball of emotions a lot larger and a lot more confusing. So you really have to be aware of your own thought processes and your own tendencies in these situations because you may want to blame yourself simply because you want someone to blame. And you know you really can't do this because doing this really makes you more frustrated with yourself and it prevents you from coming to terms with the occurrence in the long run. This leads us into stage four. Now, stage four it is what is you know stereotypically been you know portrayed as grief. This is depression, and I mentioned this earlier in the episode. But look, grief isn't just sadness. It's, grief isn't just a, a state of depression. Although depression is part of grief, it's just a lot more complicated than that. We may feel like the loss has finally gone to us, or that we finally lost, that we can't do anymore that we've done all we can to protect ourselves and you know this event's finally here and we finally have to come to terms with it confusion may set in here you may feel even like you have little motivation or drive to do the simple things right and look depression is an episode we'll cover in the future keep this in mind so i'm going to keep it a little brief um but your thoughts may tell you that that like your future is hopeless that there's no possible future that you can conceive without this person, without this thing, without this object in your life. Here it feels like your brain is finally lost 
and it's really difficult to see a future. I'm sure a lot of you have experience with depression. It's very similar. You have no motivation and it's difficult to see a future in which you are happy or content because that person's never going to be there. That thing's never going to be there. It's impossible to reach your, you know, the apex of happiness, that peak happiness level. Because that peak has dropped a little bit because that person will never be there. Should that person be there, you'd be that little little bit happier. But that's not the case. And so it's really difficult to see a future in which you are actually happy. Especially if this relationship was very, um, should I say, intimate or very, very close. Right? Because the more information you have on somebody, the more you know them, then the more painful these things are and the more dependent you are on this person, whether you see it that way or not. So this kind of, regardless of how we feel and how, of how long we feel it, this will lead into stage five. And I do recommend that, like, look, if you're feeling depressed and you're going through and you're grieving, right? Talk to somebody, please. Whether it be a licensed, you know, therapy professional or literally just a friend or a bus driver just talk to somebody get it off your chest trust me it feels better but stage five is acceptance look this is not and i want to clarify this this is not by any means saying that this is a good stage or that this is like the end or that this is this is uplifting but rather you just have to come to come to terms with the occurrence you have to like make yourself aware of the fact that you're actually experiencing this thing, this loss or this detachment or, you know, something of the sort. It's not like, oh, it's finally over. I can relax or something like that. It's literally just, oh, this is happening. And I realize it's place in my life and I can come to terms with it. Look, you'll feel different, maybe on edge a little bit or confused even. But here you you have to come to, to realize like the importance of this event in your life. Your life's kind of like a puzzle and this is just another piece in it. Where does it go though? You know, is it a corner piece? Is it an edge piece? Does it go right in the middle? You know, how does it fit into your life? This is, these are the things you have to come to terms with. The things you have to accept and figure out. So these are the five stages. Keep them in mind as we go through the rest of today's podcast. But um, yeah, thank you for going through that with me. And look, if you're feeling, if you're questioning your ability to like listen to this, you know, give yourself some time. You can come back to it. This will always be here, I promise. But don't push yourself through this if you think it might may hurt you or stress you out, because I know this can be a trigger, triggering topic. So let's get into like the meat and potatoes of today. What causes grief? It's often you know perceived that grief is caused by someone's death. You know, you see people at a funeral, they're grieving, or you see a widow, she's grieving, right? But it can be literally anything. It can be the death of a loved one, friend or other, just as we have previously mentioned. But it can just also be someone who's removed in your life. It could be giving a child up for adoption because you can't take care of them. That would definitely invoke feelings of grief. 
I definitely can see that happening. But it's it's really any large change in your life, the job change, a divorce, etc. Why is it everything? Well, think about this. You have a relationship with everything in your life. You do, whether it be intense or you know, not intense at all, whether it be pretty trivial. You have a relationship with everything. And when these relationships are removed from your life, you're going to be impacted at different levels because these relationships, or rather the absence of relationships, are what invoke feelings of grief. So it literally could be the removal of... It could literally... So this is a good example. I just, I've recently moved houses. And look, I, went th- I would say I went through a brief stage of grief because I missed my old house. It was the house I've grown up in since I was literally a newborn. And I lived there for 16 years. So that was difficult for me because I had a lot of emotional attachment to that house. Because in relationships, you have emotional attachment. You have a lot of different... You may have romantic attachment, stuff like that. Platonic attachment. But these forms of attachment, when they are broken and when these things are taken away from you, you know, which means those things are broken, that can invoke feelings of grief. Because that thing is gone. So it can literally be a loss of anything. Just think of grief as the causes of grief, rather, as some form of loss. Because the loss of something, you know, is synonymous with the loss of a relationship. Those are the same thing. How does grief affect us? This is what everybody's been waiting for. This is really what we care about. So, what's really interesting is that we may continue to have certain expectations or reflexes about this, this thing. We may walk into a room and expect them to be there. We may expect them to be at the door after we hear the doorbell ring or we hear someone knock. We may even expect them to be on the couch when we get home after a long day of work. These are just the things that your brain, you know, develops because of a, a, an extensive episodic memory that it's developed over time with this object or thing. Or person. So the more intimate a relationship, the stronger relationship, the more episodic memory you will have. So the more you will actually be affected by this loss. Right? That's what we kind of talked about earlier. But again, right here, you're gonna have a lot more expectations because a greater frequency at which you interact with somebody would directly correlate with you know your expectations after they're gone you're going to have more expectations because you've interacted with them in different situations or settings, stuff like that. I remember this, um, like when I got out of school the other day, I almost instinctively drove to my old house. Like, like I was just normal, but you know, that's not where I live anymore. So I was kind of like, Oh shoot. Like I got to turn around. So stuff like that. It's kind of illustrative of what we're talking about here or, you may, like, I remember I w- I've woke up after my dog passed away. This was just recently, about two weeks ago. And I woke up and I was like, oh, I can't wait for him to come in. Like, I can't wait to go see him, take him out for a walk. Come to realize, like, oh, yeah, he's not here anymore. And it's hard to come to terms with that. It's really difficult. So... Yeah, I mean, it's look, it's it's really difficult. It's 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 a lot to process. 
right? Like you've spent so many years curating a relationship, a relationship full of love and joy and contentment with this person or thing. And then it's just ripped from you. Sometimes even without your, without warning. And it's just very scary sometimes when that occurs. But just remember like these kinds of situations are normal, right? Having these expectations are normal because your brain has already formed so many memories with this person that it instinctively makes these predictions. That's why this happens. I'd like to pivot to a paper published in the National Library of Medicine. So the title is, well, it's actually a question, so I'll read it as a question, but the title is Craving Love, Enduring Grief Activates Brain's Reward Center. This was written by Mary Frances O'Connor, a professor in psychology at the University of Arizona. So this paper illustrates the biological markers associated with grief, and it actually tells us a lot about what we feel during grief, because sometimes we need machines to tell us what we're feeling, because it's really difficult to articulate what we're feeling. As I mentioned before, this can kind of correlate with like the frustration you know, stage or the, the anger stage, right? You become frustrated because you don't know how to articulate yourself. So this study shows that fMRI scans, which are uh, functional magnetic resonance imaging scans, so that's a mouthful. You don't have to remember that. It just allows you to show the, well, basically just shows these kinds of machines show the activation of certain brain areas. So it shows that brain areas associated with craving or pursuit are active during grief, which tells us like, oh, during grief, you actually seek this person and you want this thing or you know stuff like that. You are trying to pursue them, but you just can't. So it actually shows like our motives during these times. So these fMRIs also show activation of brain areas that are associated with physical pain, which shows us like, okay, like we know we're experiencing pain during these times. But I, f- I feel like most of us already knew that. Like it's obviously painful, but a lot of us don't correlate that with physical pain. We often just think of mental pain as, you know, mental pain or something you're imagining or something, but it's sometimes even physical pain. A more in-depth analysis of grief actually shows that people who are in a state of complicated grief show reward-related activity in the nucleus accumbens. So this, this is a brain area that bridges motivation and active essentially. Motivation and action. I'm sorry. Um, This illustrates our tendency to seek what we have lost. So it really just shows we are motivated to go seek this person, yet we can't do it. Um, I'll attach a link to this neuroimaging study in the show notes of the episode. But, um, you know, just for those of you who want to inquire more in depth about that. So grief is normal, guys. (laughs) Remember that. Seriously, grief is normal. We all go through it. You will at some point or another in your life. And this comes back to like, oh, we all have relationships. We all go build relationships of some kind because we all interact with things. We're social creatures. So you're going to experience grief. Not everything remains constant. Things change. So I hope this episode, you know, proves of of use to you one day. I would like to end today's episode with a quote, and I think this quote really sums up what grief is, and it really allowed me to define grief um, in my own life. So grief, I've learned, is really just love. It's all the love you want to give but cannot. 
All of that unspent love gathers in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, the hollows of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. So this quote was from Jamie Anderson. And I really think it just sums up what we've discussed today because grief is just love unspent. That's really how it feels. Um, Thank you guys so much for tuning in today for our discussion on grief and grieving. If you are learning from and are enjoying this podcast, feel free to give it up to a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whichever platform you listen to this on. Um, This is a great zero-cost way to support the podcast. Thank you again. My name is Slayton Cooper. I'll see you next time on My Crazy Brain. Thank you.